This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash. Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Hello and welcome to the TOVG podcast. I am the dreary and remorse George Weedman. And after two incredibly uplifting weeks, it looks like shit has hit the fan again. And it's time for us to get serious and talk about talk about a topic that's going to be a little bit of a downer. But we're going to do that in a little while. We're not going to start off like that. We're going to start off by saying we have Jimmy with us. Hey guys, I'm Jimmy. I'm always here. If you listen to a podcast on DOVG before, you've probably heard me. <laughs> and we also have Kite Tales. Hey guys. Uh, it's just the three of us this week. A fourth couldn't make it due to technical difficulties, but um, yeah. that's just one of of much of the bad news that unfortunately has happened this week. But <laughs> that's okay, because while bad news happens, good life's happened. My, my week has been cool. How has uh, your guys' week's been? I'd have to agree. My week's been pretty damn decent. Yeah, it's been pretty sunny. <laughs> I, for one, am really glad to get Watch Dogs out of my life, even though it, like, cropped up really big in the news this week. Right. It was extremely frustrating having to play through a, like, 40-long game and 40-plus-hour-long game in, like, five the five days that I had to review it. Yeah. And it was just, like, way too much of a kind of mediocre game in way too little of a time. So I actually took a week off from Bunny Hop and um, just put a Metal Gear Revengeance playthrough, which I love, right, right, right. up instead. And I also started um, a Japanese indie shmup that just released on Steam called Crimson Clover. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely hilarious. You guys have seen um, those those videos of like these crazy bullet hell shooters from Japan where it's just like the whole screen is covered in, in little bullets you got to dodge through, right? Oh yeah, of course, like Toho. Yeah, it, it's like like Japanese indie games are always ridiculous shmups like that, and this is one of them. It feels really, really good for some reason to make this nimble dance between a screen absolutely full of bullets. And it's not even that hard <laughs> when you get used to it. The trick is to not look at the entire screen full of bullets. Just yeah. look at where your little ship is and hold down the fire button. <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't care about what you're shooting. You just care about touching the bullets all over the screen. Yeah, I've always really liked uh, watching people play those games. The only shmup that I ever really like got into was Jamestown. Oh, I don't know if was, you ever played yeah, that. It was, oh, it was. Yes. It, that is one of my favorite games ever. I, Jamestown is so beautiful. Uh -huh. I made a review on it. I, I don't know. I'm not really super satisfied with that video. It doesn't really express why I like the game so much. But ah, I don't know. Like, I'm not like a huge shoot 'em up fan. But, like, I loved their no power-ups approach. Like, you just, like, your ship is your power-up because it acts differently. I don't know. Yeah. That's always been really cool to me. But it wasn't, it's not nearly as, like, bullet hell as a lot of, as, like, Toho games or, or probably Crimson Clover. Well, yeah, like, that's what Jamestown is really good at doing is introducing you to games like that. Like, this is actually mm -hmm. the second time I've gotten into a shmup. The first time was Jamestown. 
mm-hmm. it's bringing back a lot of great memories of it. I'm not quite enjoying it as much as my first time with Jamestown, but I guess that's because you can only only find a wacky new genre of video games for the first time once. And also, there's <laughs> also also Jamestown <laughs> is like. Is like set in the 1700s on Mars. It is so that's incredibly kind of a... well themed. <laughs> like I always found that great. Crimson Clover is just um, you're you're a spaceship, a wacky Japanese <laughs> spaceship with wacky Japanese robots. I mean, it looks good. The explosions are, are really big and screen shaky and satisfying, and shit flies all over the screen, and it's pretty to look at. But Jamestown was also funny and fun to look at. Yeah, it was so weird. And it had really so, great so music. Weird. Oh, yes. Yeah. I love the soundtrack. I like you... that was co-op. Yeah, that's... I never got to play you the co-op because it was local only. It works really, really well. You end yeah, up um, yeah, timing up special abilities with your friends like you do in Guitar Hero. Oh, yeah. You can activate the shield when your meter is full, but if your friend's meter is low, you can kind of fly close to each other and they'll use you as an umbrella while they oh, build a cool. meter of their own. Yeah, you can, like, sync it up to... um keep an almost never-ending string of of power-ups going oh wow that's pretty tight (laughs) but okay um crimson clover has two-player co-op it's a lot more Mm -hmm. more focused on being mechanically refined than stylistically fun and it's also japanese as hell but um (laughs) it's really fun i i recommend it if if you liked jamestown and i'm also (laughs) starting system shock one which was a huge surprise I, are you guys familiar with the System Shocks? I've I've heard the name mm. several times. If I'm correct, it's a horror game, correct? System correct, Shock correct. 2 is. <laughs> it's the, oh, okay. the predecessor to the Bioshock games, which is... Oh, I did they not all even have, know that. Yeah, they all have shock in the name. They kind of go for the same style as a thinking man's FPS. And um, mm. it's interesting to see. I was expecting it to be a horror game, but it's actually this rad 90s cyberpunk hacker game. Oh, weird. (laughs) You start up the game, and and it shows you a cyberpunk Neo-Atlanta cityscape. I kid you not. Like, a robot voice comes on the screen, and little white text at the bottom of the city skyline says, Neo-Atlanta 2072. Oh, God. And and you see your hacker guy at the top of a a rooftop in Neo-Atlanta. I think he had a mohawk holding out Sweet. a laptop with like that that green DOS text hacking into <laughs> hacking into the mainframe and then he gets transported off to a spaceship where a crazy AI um, locks all the doors using cyber toggles that you have to jack into cyberspace to unlock. Wow. I <laughs> heard about like... System Shock, but I would never guess that was yeah, the game. No. Yeah, sounds like like Watchdogs 2072. <laughs> System Shock 2 was was super dreary, dark space horror. Like, you were light years out in the middle of absolute nowhere just trying to survive on a spaceship with being overrun by crazy mutants and stuff. And, like, Bioshock, those games... Well, Bioshock Infinite had a bright color palette, but the subject matter was very dark. System Shock 1 is, like, a crazy 90s techno rave party in comparison. (laughs) That's really weird. I'm really Maybe I'll have to try that out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying that, but that's that's how my week's been. I'm really I'm really happy I'm spending it actually playing games I enjoy at, at my own pace. What have you guys been up to? Uh well I have been <laughs> Speaking of games I, I don't necessarily enjoy, I've been playing Ultra Street Fighter 4. But you're uh, doing it just for glory. Out. 
I'm doing it because I feel obligated to, because Satchel, I'm sure you guys know Satchel, uh, Satchbags from TOVG, uh, he messaged me on Skype, because he's going to SGC this year, Screw Attack Gaming Convention, and a lot of us are going as well, and he, he left me, he kind of like broke the subject of like, hey, are you going to be in that Street Fighter tournament? And I figured like, yeah, you know what, I'll do it for, I'll do it for fun, I'm going to lose, but whatever. And so he afterwards, like he waited an hour, and then he's like... Hey man, what shirt size are you? And I was like, oh boy, here we go. So I think <laughs> oh he has gosh. some sort of like Street Fighter themed like team shirt. He has a uniform. That's awesome. He's a graphic designer and he has access to like the ability to like get that stuff made personally for him. Satchel and so I feel like he's it. gonna show up with like jerseys or something. So because oh I already said yes, I feel obligated to That's like do so cool, a good job. Though. Right, but it's not gonna be cool if I lose in the first hey, round. So I'm like lose, practicing I mean, you my have, ass like, off. Like a team T-shirt. Yeah, I have the uh, consolation prize. You'll be beating <laughs> exactly. people who... Well, no, you'll be losing against people who don't have the team t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and, and besides, whatever, it's it's about the fun, right? Right? Yeah, I know, exactly. but it's not fun if I get 2 and owed in the first round. <laughs> so I'm going to try and at least put up a fight. If I win one round, then I think I'll be satisfied. When I was at nice. GDC, my friend Will, who was being my cameraman, they were... Uh -huh. um, putting on an event where John Romero was playing Doom with, with the fans, and John Romero was uh -huh. one of the people who made Doom. And it was this really right. cool opportunity to actually play a game against someone who made the game that also happened to be a super competitive game. And my friend played Doom against John Romero. He... <laughs> The final score was negative two to twenty. <laughs> wow! And that was the last time that John Romero played Doom against someone at that GDC. And as a result, um, because Razer was sponsoring the setup they were playing on, Razer was like, uh -huh. "Hey, we're packing up. John Romero, do you want this keyboard?" And John Romero was like, "Sure, I guess." And then he just handed it to my friend Will, and Will was like, "Yeah, I got John Romero's keyboard for losing against a negative two to 20. <laughs> Oh god. So, That's amazing. And and I don't know if That's you guys so are watching funny. the Nintendo so um, Smash competition at E3, but those guys were wearing like weird mm. bathrobes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really follow esports it, like that much, the... but are hmm. uniforms a thing in esports? Uniforms are a thing in esports. Uh, I I know specifically uh, League of Legends teams because I used to be really into the like competitive scene like watching it not not playing competitively legends but like um, I remember seeing team curse and team dignitas from League of Legends at E3 and they were wearing their full uniforms the thing is is they were kind of being like like I, I don't want to like call them out but they were kind of being like assy to anybody who was like asking for a picture I remember <laughs> I, I remember somebody asked for a picture to one of the the guys for like the mid from from uh, dignitas and he was like yeah, make it quick. And I was like, God, don't oh, wear your don't jersey so if you don't want to be recognized, yourself. dude. <laughs> wow. Like, you're a league player at a an E3. Like, uh, at a, anyway, anyway, no, no, like not to like bash people, but uh, yeah, jerseys are jerseys and uniforms are a thing for esports, especially at that high level. But the the quote unquote bathrobes you're talking about, that's it was supposed to be like a boxing ring, like like Rocky robe. <laughs> yeah, that I you know, like wear my first before you like do a boxing robe. match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they look like bathrobes, but like that's they just do. because they're all robes. But like, how <laughs> so how dope is it enough. though for those guys? 
how dope is it for those guys that they like got this smash Wii U and 3DS specific robe and then they got to like play on stage and then like Reggie handed the trophy like that guy's gonna probably gonna keep all that stuff for the rest of his life that was probably like a highlight of his life like John Romero's keyboard just saying treasure it forever <laughs> maybe like a little bit better than John Romero's <laughs> keyboard <laughs> so anyways Kite Tales you haven't told us about yes. your week what games have you been playing I've been playing too much Tomodachi Life Oh boy! I just love it so much. <laughs> hey, I'm next. I'm next door neighbors with Nathan Drake, and Leonardo DiCaprio has a crush on me. My life's going pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds wow. like like the ideal dream of of so many girls out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nathan it's Drake so cool, and Leonardo DiCaprio. You get DiCaprio. to a point where you literally put every single person and character you can think of. I've got Cloud Strife. I've got Ron Swanson. And I've got everybody. <laughs> what a matchup. And then the building expands. And he's like, who else can I fill it up with? You literally run out of people to, so, to put in your I've building. I've always wondered how that game oh, works. God. Like, I've seen some really weird videos of people yeah. doing, like, magical girl transformation routines and, um, like, stage dance yeah. shows with their Miis. But they also call it a life sim. And, like... Yes. I, I don't know, like, my whole frame of reference for Life Sim is something like The Sims, where the whole game is, like, meter management, where you're trying to fill up meters uh -huh. that are constantly decreasing based on purchasing resources, or... Right. Yeah. But, but they also say it's, like, Animal way. Crossing, and I don't think Animal Crossing fits into any genre comfortably. I would say it's 80% it's Animal Crossing and 20%, if even, The Sims, because... It's not that intense to the point where if you don't feed them for three days, they're going to die and they're going to be in mm. the blue bar area. And, you and just sort of have to the weeds keep will them. Be it's everywhere. like an ant farm. More like an ant farm. <laughs> just keep oh them busy and mildly unaware of their futile existence. Yes. They want to play games with you. They want new outfits. They want certain types of food. They want to get married to people that are already married. It's, it's pretty fun. <laughs> Sounds sounds interesting. It's, I was watching. Yeah, it's a good waste of time. I would I would recommend it to anybody who has a 3DS. It looks absolutely hilarious. I have laughed my ass off every time I've watched anyone play it. I was <laughs> it at a so family. Funny. I was at a family dinner this weekend for Father's Day, and a friend of mine was playing it. And um, she showed me a screen where me versions of all of his real life friends were lining up to drop money in a donation box yes! of his. He pulled that mm -hmm. money it together and day. bought them cheesecake. <laughs> and I'm like, this is very interesting <laughs> economic theory that, <laughs> that these people are running off of. Where, where a despot that they pay their food tax to gives them cheesecake <laughs> for donations. It's very, very deal, well done. The whole deal with Tomodachi Life, I feel like it'd be something that I would be interested in if I had the time to sink into it, but I've been like very deliberately avoiding avoiding time sync games like that because I like like, like I said, I'm practicing Street Fighter 4. I also want to <laughs> play like I want to beat more of Dust Force because I really like that game and I haven't beaten it. I want to play more of games that I own that have like a finite end to them. Yeah. Dust Force. And if I get into a game like that, I'm going to sink like 40 hours <laughs> yeah. into it and Dust be like, Force what am I doing right <laughs> I know, up your alley? So Oh, Dust Force is so good. It is. I, that's a that's a whole nother 
that's a whole nother can of worms. Okay. Anyways, can of dust. Speaking of a whole nother can of of dust, um, we got that out of the way. <laughs> now it's time for us to get sad and morose again because this week's theme, based on the news stories that were the most seemingly prevalent this week, I, I'm mm-hmm. calling it Ubi Sad or well. That's actually going to be pronounced Aww. UbiSad for ubiquitous oh, sadness. <laughs> There's one certain French game publisher who's just dominating the headlines this week with bad press, and I'm, I'm sure you all get the pun. And I don't get it. It's uh, UbiSad <laughs> sounds like, like Ubisoft. Which I looked up how to pronounce oh. Ubisoft. <laughs> it's pronounced uh-huh. Ubisoft, not Ubisoft. And every time I yeah. watch like a Jim Sterling video or oh. something where he says Ubisoft, I'm like, the back of my mind just goes nuts. Anyways, um, yeah. So <laughs> a lot of a lot of I know, I know. And once once you get in the habit of pronouncing it correctly, you will never be able to unhear it. Like I, I right. finally I got know. it last week, and and I watched earlier videos of mine where I say Ubisoft and I'm like, God, George, you you were an idiot. <laughs> you sound <laughs> so ignorant. <laughs> I I was, I guess, because I didn't know how to pronounce Ubisoft. Um and <laughs> they've been in the news so much these days and these past years actually. I why is EA public enemy number one again? I, I don't know. I get I, I know why pu- EA is public enemy number one, but why are they public right. enemy number one compared to Ubisoft? I like, don't know. I, <laughs> people like to people like to fall into a rut where they where like as soon as they've decided on who they hate, it, it's more comfortable to just like continue hating that thing than like come up with yeah. reasons to hate something more. It's very much it's sort of this hive <laughs> mentality. It's hey guys, we don't like EA anymore. And no one asks yeah. any questions. It's just yeah. so I don't. I think a lot of people, if you ask them, people who are more up to date with gaming news, if you said, "Hey, what do you think about EA?" they would be inclined <laughs> to tell you, "Oh, EA is terrible." And you said, "Why?" They wouldn't really be able to explain the background right. of it. They've just been sort of groomed well, into this mentality that we don't like EA. They've done something really bad in the past. Yeah, <laughs> like it has a lot to do with. Um, ending beloved franchises and uh, mm. milking DLC out of said beloved franchises and cheapening mm-hmm. the brand mm-hmm. of those beloved franchises. Like, just look at the shitstorm over uh, Dungeon Keeper Mobile. It was a perfect form of that trifecta where it was an old franchise that EA had previously killed off, revived again as a cheap mobile pay-to-win gimmick game that um, Mm -hmm. was built all around encouraging users to pay for microtransactions. That, to me, seems like a long-running kind of ideological problem compared to the short-term technological problems that Ubisoft games... Oh my god. That Ubisoft games have. I can't believe I just said Ubisoft. (laughs) Oh no, we've got you on it. (laughs) I know. Anyways... What about... when did SimCity come out? That was last year? 2000... Two years ago. Yeah, 13. Two years ago? It's been two years? Oh, wow. No, oh, like no, a year and a half. SimCity 2013 came out last year, I thought. Because it was called That's, SimCity yeah. 2013. Uh, okay. Yeah, the one oh, that had the well. um the always online multiplayer yeah. issue yeah. and that whole so fiasco. So wasn't that supposed to be like an anti-piracy measure at first? They wanted everyone to play it online yeah. and... Yeah, okay. But now it that just, was an example. It took them what, a year to take it offline? 
about about I think it was slightly under yeah. a year, more like ten months, but enough to say a year. Yeah. And the, the oh. whole deal with that, like if I could just interject for just mm-hmm. like a half second, the no whole problem, deal no with problem. that, I think the reason that people hated that so much was not that it was DRM, like always online, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's that's bad to a point, but like when you really think about it, like a lot of Steam games are that and nobody really cares, right? But I think the reason why so like so many people were like upset was because it was DRM and EA gave reasons that were completely not true as to why they had that online. Like, oh, well, it needs to do this and this and this. When they could have just been like, we don't want anybody to pirate our game. Like, just just deal with our online because that's our bad bad policy. And people would have been upset, but they wouldn't have been like lied to. Yeah, Yeah, they 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 said it it was complex (laughs) server-side calculations. And then and somebody on day two was like, hang on, I'm playing the game offline because I turned on a thing you guys turned off. And mm-hmm. they're like, no. Modders figured it out very that. quickly. Manly Tears broke the news. He posted a video yeah. of it on YouTube. And and that's when everyone knew that EA was full of shit. But okay, like that is an example of an EA game having a game-breaking technological problem. And right. the list of topics I have, there are at least two Two of the four news stories are about things with Ubisoft being janky under the hood. And I remember in earlier right. years, back in 2005, like they popularized Securom. They popularized always online DRM. And it, uh-huh. it seems to me like I've had more issues actually getting Ubisoft games up and running in front of my face than I have <laughs> with the EA games, which I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to question myself and wonder if I should consider that a greater offense. Anyways. Yeah, um, it's, it's pretty oh, crazy. Sorry. Um, no, the first, right. I just wanted the to first say, story, yeah. The first story up is that uh, modders have found graphical settings inside of the Watch Dogs PC version that resemble what they showed off at E3 2012. And this has sparked a mm-hmm. discussion about whether or not bullshit or bullshot <laughs> is... Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. No one's arguing that it's a good thing. Everyone's arguing it's a bad thing. It might even be a borderline illegal thing based on truth and advertising laws. But that's uh, not really my area of expertise. Um, mm-hmm. Modding may or may not be. What happened is that a user has uh, found some hidden features that he unlocked through hex editing, which is a lot more complicated right. than just opening up a INI file and changing values. Like, there was some mm-hmm. effort to obscure the fact that these features existed in the game to some degree, that uh, they cut... Mm-hmm. It's effect, I, It's kind of like cut content, not so much content as, as graphical features, but I've seen similar similar stuff like this happen before and I can't necessarily say I'm wholly surprised that there are features in this game that resemble what they showed in advertising, but at the same time I'm more surprised that people ended up getting as outraged about it as they did. Yeah. Um, I guess the question is 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 outrage over realizing that false advertising was false justified? Um, I mean, okay. I think what it comes down to is the, is the, I don't know. I, it feels like a case by case basis thing, because like, if it was something like, let's jump back to to EA for a second. If it was something like they advertised uh, Sims 
to be like they like specifically advertised it not to be a DRM game, like a DRM free game. And then it released and like for some reason it had the DRM activated and like you had to mod the game in order to turn it off. That would be, I think, something to be outraged over because that's like blatantly false and that's like a big deal. As far as something as to what I understand, this is a graphical thing, right? It's right, like a yeah. like better graphics. Uh, slightly extent. better. Like it's some it, it is a, a great big change in front of your face, but I'm sure in years of now, the difference between the vanilla version of Watch Dogs and the stuff that these modders have unlocked that already existed in the game isn't going to look as big as they look to us right now. Right. I mean, maybe it's just because I'm a guy who's kind of... I've always had like a just mediocre PC, and I played console games for a long time before that, so maybe I'm not like super maybe i just don't care about graphics as much as other people do but like i'm fine with playing like a low like a a game on like all low settings as long as the gameplay is fine and if this doesn't affect like the gameplay in any way i think uh, it's a bit ridiculous to get so outraged over it if it's just a graphics thing pretty much exactly the same way yeah so i don't know and and i feel like i don't even know as well the difference between high res graphics and regular just low res I, the, the only time i notice is when i hit that like perfect 60 frames per second stride which my computer so rarely goes into because then i'm like <laughs> oh my god it's like real life but then once it goes back down i'm like oh, okay back to re- back to reality it, for it's me. normal again yeah yeah it's normal I, again <laughs> i feel like i'm coming from the same area but at the same time i I think I've mentioned it before, when I'm playing a multiplayer game, I, like, strictly make sure it's running at 60 frames. For yeah, single player, I, I try to aim for 30, actually, if it's a um, really demanding, high, highly graphically marketed game like Watch Dogs. I'm pretty sure I was playing right. through it at 30-ish, 35-ish FPS uh-huh. my first time, and it just seems like this people are really angry about this like i've had people leave me comments saying george we need your help covering this story and and on one hand i feel like there's nothing i can do to help because the game already sold four million copies and apparently the market has decided that they tolerate this graphical downgrade that apparently ubisoft could have uh mitigated on another level i am fully aware of the development well i'm not fully aware of the development process but i'm fully aware of how a lot of features that get cut out of the development process have to be supported to a level of standards that these might not have i'm reading reports about these advanced hidden graphical options causing people glitches and stuff that might not Mm -hmm. have met whatever certification ubisoft holds holds uh, their their graphical standard to. I've played mm-hmm. split-screen modes on Portal 2 and Left 4 Dead and Borderlands on the PC. Though That's not an officially supported feature, but you just open mm-hmm. up a text file, put in a line, and it runs just fine. And the reason why is because they don't want to officially package it based on how many controllers and stuff are out there. That's It's too complicated to support. I don't think it's, it's right, quite right. as black and white as people are making this out to be. I think they should... Um, have expected modders to make it look better and that they should rightfully enjoy it and that they should rightfully feel miffed also that they were being falsely advertised to. But I'm really sorry that I, I didn't make an angry video about it. I don't feel like there was enough <laughs> to to justify that anger when you look at the realities of the development process. Yeah, you know, 
in that vein, I wonder what the I wonder what would be different if on the release of Watch Dogs, like if there was like a, a blog post, like a dev blog post from Ubisoft that said something to the effect of like uh, a clever person may be able to find some hidden files, blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. We, re- we removed some of these things from the game because of, and then like list off the actual like yeah. real glitches or like problems with the game that it was causing. I wonder if there would have been any outcry if that was the case. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like devs know about this stuff. In in my own uh-huh. personal experience, I have not talked to the development team of Watch Dogs, but before right. Borderlands 2 was coming out, I actually was talking to one of the devs at an event in Atlanta, and he said, yes, you will be able to play split screen on PC. However, <laughs> this was off the record at the time. Now that the game's come out, I mm-hmm. don't exactly think I'm going to be saying anything controversial, but he did tell me that you will have to open up an INI switch to enable it. Like they know uh-huh. they just um, can't officially support it because of uh, really annoying bureaucratic reasons that those of us right. who are end users don't have to deal with. Um, Essentially covering covering their bases in the way where this works, but it doesn't work to the standards that the people who are giving us our money to make this game want it to be. So we'll leave it available for the person who will like dig for treasure and find it because they'll know that it's not going to work to the yeah. standards. And I don't know if that's, that's really a bad thing because you still get the features and you also have, uh, I don't know, like in a way it kind of engages the community and gets them more passionate and deeper involved with the game they're playing. But I, I don't mm-hmm. know if that matters so much as reason number one, which is you still get the features and they're not that hard to implement from from your side, right. just slightly harder than the option screen, but they're still there. Yeah, um, that's very interesting. Anyways, uh, Ubisoft representative has also said that Far Cry 4, which I believe you played at E3, right, Jimmy? I did not get to play it. No, oh, I, it was, I was uh, very much focused on the Nintendo booths. Alex, did Alex play it? I remember one of you guys talking Alex about it last Gerard week. Did. Yeah, okay, Alex and Gerard well, did. They actually put up an episode of Super Beard Brothers that like Ubisoft sent them their their Far Cry 4 like playthrough footage back to them so they could use. Oh, and cool. that was on consoles, correct? Yes. Well, whatever version they were playing is supposedly going to be equivalent to the ultra high PC version, which mm. um is another another topic related to Ubisoft technology under the hood stuff happening that also caused a lot of controversy. I believe when when this news story broke, Total Biscuit tweeted and said if your console version looks the same as PC on ultra high, you're not fully taking advantage of the PC version, which I think kind of I, I don't know, like ultra high can mean anything they want it to do, especially evidenced by what ultra high looks like on the watchdogs version, which was not as as pretty as it ultimately could go. Right. Well, I think the the like kind of like the elephant in the room here is, I mean, you just said it ultra high can mean anything. I mean, like it's not like a, a scientific standard, right? Like right. I can market my game as like a hard game and the difficulties can be hard super hard and kill yourself and you know those aren't like standards of difficulty the standards would be like easy normal hard but like they can do the same thing here ultra high could be the lowest setting for all we know if they just want to like be ass cheeky guys and like chain yeah if they want to be super cheeky and like make the lowest setting ultra high but But also like not that i think they're gonna do that but 
you know. Even then, if they're going for optimization on the consoles, then Ultra High could still produce some very low quality assets. It depending yeah. on how well they want their game to be running across all platforms. Like there, right. some conspiracy theories about how Watch Dogs was visually downgraded to accommodate for. Um, well, I'm not, I don't want to say accommodate. The conspiracy theories are that they wanted console parity with the PC version so as not to make the PC version look significantly better than the console version. And what I Mm -hmm. think the reality of the development process is is that they have to code it and optimize it for the lowest common denominator, the least powerful system that's still going to sell a bunch of copies, which is shitty, but not that shitty. (laughs) It's just just like a fact of life. I don't know. Like, I don't remember I, Dead I mean, Space looking that different on, on consoles versus PC or Deus Ex Human Revolution. Gears of War looks the same. It's just differences in resolution and anti-aliasing. Right. And like, OK, maybe I, I have to say I have a pretty limited view of of like the public of like the world because I live in in one city and I don't like. I don't often go out of state. I don't often go to other countries. So maybe, I don't know, and maybe like, maybe a quite a few people more than I think have like amazing PCs out there. But in my group of people that I hang out with, only like a very small handful have PCs that are like built to run stuff at ultra high. And so maybe it's, again, maybe this is just a thing from a guy who really doesn't care about graphics or anything, but like, I think it's kind of nitpicky to to even care that like they're optimizing for a lower common denominator. Like, I don't know. Again, I'm a gameplay guy, I guess. As long as the gameplay is identical across all platforms, it doesn't really affect me. That's but pretty that's much also my opinion a, on it too. Yeah. If you put the console and the PC versions up together, I probably won't be able to tell you which one is which. Yeah, same here. It's just and not something like I said, that I really look for or that's ever really been important to me, I guess. Yeah. I, I will. I mean, I will look at them and tell the difference and play the PC version of it. I just won't care that much. <laughs> like, as long as it's still yeah, a good like, game and it's still the same for everyone, that everyone gets to enjoy it. Everyone's... That's that's good in my book, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Anyways, um... um This next news topic (laughs) correlates with something that a community member has brought up. In the forums, Josh Mm -hmm. FTL wants to talk about proprietary store rage. He says, one of the things that touched a nerve on this podcast, which was two weeks ago, was the chat about how many truly Mm -hmm. awful store programs there are. As as you know, Ubisoft... Oh my god, I'm 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 degenerating. Ubisoft, Ubisoft for (laughs) ubiquitous software has one called (laughs) Uplay. Uh... Right. That that I hate. <laughs> yeah. Um yes. Josh FTL says they're annoying and obtrusive. Most of the time I don't want to have to download something extra that needs to have constant internet connection to get in win away. That's exactly what you play is. And when yeah. Watch Dogs came out, I remember I uh started playing it a day before launch with the press copy, but then on launch day it went out, which I kinda sort of expected, but still didn't feel good mm-hmm. about. A uh one of their chief officers has since gone on record to say, quote, Uplay didn't fail at all. The authentication server did, end quote. Ooh, Ooh that's yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's a load of shit. Um, that's God some fancy, almighty. that's some like fancy schmancy wordplay right there. 
I don't even like it just sounds like a kindergartner making up with an excuse I didn't punch you my fist did um yeah <laughs> that's yeah that's perfect you play didn't oh fail at all the authentication server did like those are two very related systems yeah like why does your so game dumb. need an authentication server watchdogs has a multiplayer mode that's not as seamlessly integrated into the single player as as uh they market it off as being like you see a loading screen right. in in between the single player and a match beginning and multiplayer if someone invades you you start noticing um stuff hitching you see the auto icons the auto save icons spinning around in the corner like there is right a visible seam between the two and uh mm-hmm. It plays perfectly fine offline. There is no reason whatsoever for this game to have always online DRM. It is primarily mm-hmm. a single-player experience with optional multiplayer. More optional than, say, Dark Souls. Right, right. Oh, gosh, this scares me because I feel like we might be seeing a lot of games in the future going that route so that they can um, kind of sort of have their cake and eat it in terms of being a multiplayer game, but not really being a multiplayer game. Because yeah. multiplayer only AAA games don't sell for sixty dollars unless um well yeah no Titanfall didn't Call sell as well as they wanted it to but Call of Duty has the the, the five hour single player attached to it but like it's a multiplayer game let's be completely real. no it it totally it totally is I get you it's just the the package that they're selling isn't exclusively multiplayer like Titanfall right. tried to do but I think nowadays they're saying that they are going to include a traditional single player in the next one. They didn't reach Call of Duty numbers like they were hoping for. Big surprise there. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really afraid of seeing games like Watch Dogs where they they tried to pretend to be Dark Souls and have invasions and, and yeah. multiplayer seamlessly crossing over. God, I wish Alex was here so we could talk about Destiny because Destiny is going that uh, has that style of um, single player multiplayer crossover going on as well. Right. And... I, I I don't know. In Watch Dogs, it felt very <laughs> artificial. It did not need the authentication server that failed alongside Uplay. The authentication server failed the people as well as it did Uplay. So, yeah, um, I, I don't know. I Again, may, like, maybe this is just the type of person I am. I don't... Like, I don't want multiplayer in a lot of the games I play. I like just having a single-player experience, and I think there's actually something that's kind of pure dare i say pure about like just shutting out the world and like opening up a full screen game and just like i am gonna go be in this world alone for a little bit i'll see you guys in a couple hours like i don't know i I really like that kind of feeling like a console gamer thing george did you grow up as a console guy or a pc guy i I started making the switch around ages 15 or 16 okay Uh, yeah you you went a lot sooner than i did it's it's totally still there like that's the appeal until like four or five years ago if even Mm -hmm. so i think just the idea of playing on a console you don't have to worry about the multiplayer feature you don't have to worry about getting messages from people on steam it's sort of just you and the game which I really like. I don't buy games yeah. for the multiplayer aspect unless it's mm-hmm. co-op because I actually enjoy playing with my friends next to me in person. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's something really, really special about just being able to tune everything out, and not having to worry about people coming in your game, and I don't know. And like even even with like my 
even as a PC gamer, okay, like I bought Fez when it came out on PC. I really like the game Fez. I think it's like an amazing game, but I would never stream that game on Twitch and I would never play that game without turning my Steam settings to offline and yeah. quitting Skype first. Because oh my gosh, I don't want like I, a I do single that all the sound. Time. Like I don't want a single sound, a single noise or a single notification to be like, hey, you're still in the real world. Yeah, I just want to yeah. like, no, no, I want to get lost in Fez. Don't like, don't, don't and, mess with me. And maybe like, maybe triple A's don't understand that people, that there are people that like that. And so they think that adding this multiplayer stuff is more of a, like an easy slip in, like sell. Like you're just like, oh yeah, yeah, no, our game has multiplayer too. And everyone will be like, hooray, multiplayer. Like it's very that obsessed. would actually turn me off from the experience. Yeah, Some there's this growing need to want to turn it into some social community you've got a friends list and you've got people I, right on your wall i i don't know i have a yeah. theory mm -hmm. i have a theory that they're doing that because you can't properly pirate a multiplayer game That's if the you're thing, playing though, the multiplayer it, game right you're doing it online right but that's the thing is that they like i feel like they think that everybody thinks that adding a multiplayer mode is kind of like a plus one to the game's they want credibility. Call of Duty numbers. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. but like because of that, they're using that excuse. Instead of just saying we don't want our game pirated, so we're doing DRM, or you know whatever, they're trying to slip in a sort of like stealthy exactly. way to make it like Stealth less multiplayer. <laughs> like you're not getting the full experience if you pirate it. Like, <laughs> but so I, I would rather have the not full experience. Then you have something like Watch Dogs, which can be very immersive, can be kind of comfortable to just drive around and look at the scenery all by yourself, blocking out uh -huh. the outside world, but feels half baked because of how much is going on. A lot of that is dedicated to. I, I'm I'm gonna start calling it stealth multiplayer now because it sneaks in on you. You get you get invaded when you least expect it by other players. <laughs> can Suddenly you turn it that turns off? into. You can. You and the gameplay is fine without it. I would probably play with it off. I do not like yeah, things like that. You can yeah. easily. It's 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 not necessary. Um. Anyways, last last story before the break is a yeah. game that has been revealed so far to be multiplayer only. Uh, Rainbow Six Siege is another oh, yeah. Ubisoft game that has um, taken over the slot in that franchise from Rainbow Six Patriots. Apparently, according to a Rock Paper Shotgun interview with one of the devs, they are saying that they didn't want to go the cinematic single-player FPS route this time, which mm -hmm. I, you guys were just talking about how great single-player games are, and, and I totally get it. It's not like it's not marketable now anyways. Like, just look at right. Skyrim. Everyone lauded Skyrim for avoiding yeah, this, this multiplayer stuff, and then, and then Elder Scrolls Online came out. But anyways... Um, <laughs> Rainbow Six Siege looks to me like a step in the right direction because it looks, from what we've seen at E3 at least, like a kind of purity of design. Like it was just multiplayer with a very small amount of players in a very small arena mm -hmm. and all the focus was on making some um, competitive tight options around its small scale as opposed to trying to cram a whole lot of different ideas into one game which you see AAA doing more than than keeping it a, a smaller, tighter, more pure experience. Right. And um, so they are kind of hedging their bets on that for next gen. According to this interview, anyway, they said that Rainbow Six Patriots, which was the single player cinematic FPS, was their last gen idea. And that um, one thing they wanted to experiment with doing is incorporating a more destructible environment, which last gen consoles couldn't handle. So they wanted to develop an internal test around how to make that uh, 
type of environment fun, so they Mm -hmm. built a multiplayer game out of it that they could play together. And I kind of, I kind of like that story. <laughs> like <laughs> the theme is is you be sad, right? But this one, right. I I find this could be a trend that I could get jazzed about. Yeah, because like because interesting serendipity story. Cinematic single player FPS has gone on longer than a lot of other default action game trends have. Like the, yeah, the side definitely. scroller shooter of the eighties and nineties. That was the default mm-hmm. action game back then. Nowadays the default action game is something that is becoming increasingly unsustainable. Yeah. And and Rainbow Six Siege might be a much smaller, cheaper project that uh could pave the way for us to go back to uh, well, it still sounds kind of regressive when I put it this way, but go back mm-hmm. to the days where where Counter Strike and um like Team Fortress Classic, or uh, like even the classic Rainbow Six, like other very Half-Life-esque uh, FPS games were the norm, yeah. rather than Call of Duty-esque FPS games that go for big-budget spectacle. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Just the whole, the whole, the whole deal that like a a bigger budget game is being canceled in the in the wake of the fact that they made a multiplayer version of it to test things for the bigger yeah. budget game. That's, and that's, then they're like, that's wait a minute. a good thing, I a, think. This is a better idea. There I was... mean, like, it kind of showcases the fact that, like, they actually were like, oh, this is fun. Maybe we should just do this because it's better than the stupid thing that we were making, and we'll just cancel that for this. Like, I don't know. It kind of seems like a cool story. Siege like, they like care. Might actually be a cheaper product. Like, I think there's a lot less voice acting in the trailer for it than the trailers they yeah. made for Patriots. There's much more smaller maps in the trailers we see for Siege than than Patriots. I don't know if that exactly correlates over to development costs, but I know you can at least quantify the amount of voice acting depends or can quantify the amount of voice acting into the amount of, of money it takes to pay voice actors. Yeah, definitely. Um anyways, yeah, any any thoughts about about that? I remember you guys were just talking about how how single player games still have some life in them, but I don't know. Well, I would be I'd be okay with seeing cheaper, not necessarily only single player games I think becoming like, a trend. Like, let me go back to my example that I was using, which is Fez. I think, let me put it this way. Fez is a single-player experience, right? You play the game by yourself, and you do you know, you know, do everything by yourself. It's like a one-player thing. There's no multiplayer mode in it, because there's no multiplayer mode needed, because it's not a multiplayer game. But that's not to say that multiplayer games are bad. My most-played game on Steam is Team Fortress 2 with 400-plus hours, which is not something I'm super proud of, but <laughs> it's it's like a great multiplayer game because it's built around that. Mm-hmm. It's not attacked on multiplayer for a for not the right reasons exactly. to a good single-player game. It is a multiplayer game that was built to be a multiplayer game. And I think that's if, the like, best yeah. thing about it is the first intention is for it to be a multiplayer game, so that's the focus. It's not so much like you refer to it as a plus one. It isn't, right. oh, here's your campaign plus multiplayer. It's, here's a <laughs> multiplayer game. I really enjoy good multiplayer games. I've stayed up till hours in the morning with my friends on Steam playing different games. There's this mod for Gary's mod called Trouble in Terrorstone. I'm not sure if you guys oh, are yeah. familiar with it. Yeah. That is so much fun. Especially if you've got like over 13 people and you've got three <laughs> of the traders on there. It's a really, really good game. And it's right. of course you can only play that with your friends. So mm-hmm. there is a place for multiplayer. I just don't like when they have to 
kind of just add it as a, a bonus because I rarely will touch it. I've a few of the games that in the past, um, multiplayer for Red Dead Redemption was really fun. Uncharted mm-hmm. was fun, but I don't know. I, Apparently, I don't think they didn't have a, the lasting appeal. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I noticed you talked a lot about Fez. Seems like you mm-hmm. got Fez on your mind this week. <laughs> yeah. I wonder There's why. There's a reason for that. I wonder why. We'll find. We'll get to that. We'll find out after these messages. Nobody knows every Pokemon. Who weighs more, Metapod or Pidgeotto? Pidgeotto by 44 pounds. Bulbasaur's height? Two feet, four inches. How does he do it? The electronic Pokedex for master trainers from Aber to Zubat. Master them all. Weedle's number? 13. 150 Pokemon with all the best fighting moves. Electronic Pokedex for master trainers. New from Tiger. What's up, guys? It's Alex from The Dex here, and today I have a very important question for you. As you know, The Dex is based around both trivia and battle strategy, but which one is the one that you want to rep more? Luckily, we have an option for both. If you go over to the yeti.com slash the Dex, you can buy our Dex Research Institute or our Dex Battle Academy shirts, and you can rep your trivia prowess or your battle skills or whatever, and not going to say that it's really going to matter, but Kells is the research person and I'm the battle guy, so maybe it's like a little cute war of the Pokemon Masters. So check it out. Buy our shirts at the Dex uh, page over at the yeti.com today. Hello and welcome back to the TOVG podcast, your number one source for all sad Phil Fish news. Aww. Yeah, no, this one doesn't fit the theme of, of Ubisoft related news. I still think it fits the theme of Ubisoft. Oh my gosh, I said Ubisoft. <laughs> I mean, oh, just to interrupt you, interrupting yourself, it actually kind of does because Phil used to work for yeah. uh, Ubisoft Montreal. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that is that is correct. He's um, yeah. he lives in Ubisoft. I think he grew up there. He, <laughs> he lives, doesn't live in Ubisoft. <laughs> he lives in, in Montreal. He lives in Canada. And, yeah, because I remember all the all the French speaking in that movie he was in. Um, if anybody ever makes like a if any, if any of my Canadian friends ever get mad that people do like that Canadians are so apologetic like like trope stereotype I'll just be like just look at Phil Fish he's not apologetic he's the, he's the exception he's he's very very blunt he's an um, real talk real talk I, I I don't know I before we get into this topic I will show my bias. First and foremost, I love Fez. Fez is one of my favorite games of all time, and I was not part of the big group of people to hate Phil Fish, and so I kind of, I, I kind of like the guy, and I kind, I, I respect him, and I know that's an unpopular opinion, and he I'm is a very for polarizing figure. Yeah, and so before I just wanted to like get that out of the way. I am more on the bias of liking Phil Fish than hating him, so that's where my opinion's coming from for the rest neutral, of this topic. So I'd, I'd like to be neutral. I'd like to actually just, like, wisp my hair to one side of my head and say, I don't care, I'm beyond this. <laughs> but uh, the unfortunate <laughs> thing is that uh, I have to pick topics that have happened in the news that are big news. The internet has decided that Phil Fish is big news. Yeah. Um, two days ago, well, three days ago the video came out, but two days ago it started going around, a 20-minute YouTube video essay called This is Phil Fish released, which was less about Phil 
selfish and more about the mechanics of internet popularity, about mm -hmm. actually the dehumanizing effects of internet popularity, about how Phil Fish could um go on provocative rants earlier in his career when he was less unknown and no one would think it was unjustified because he was always doing it in retaliation to someone you know cursing him out but now when he right. curses someone out in retaliation to being cursed out he's being mean not to that particular person but to the audience yeah. so the audience and in this case was uh was youtubers but that's getting ahead of myself this video went viral two days ago, and yesterday, the very next day, um, Phil Fish tweeted about a controversial topic for the first time in over a year after canceling Fez and turning off the internet, in which he was uh, talking about a news story about PewDiePie making $4 million, and my god, this, look at all these like controversial names. A anyways, yeah. this, is a, this is a perfect shitstorm. Um, mm -hmm. He said that... Quote, if you generate money from putting my content onto your channel, you owe me money. Simple as that. If you buy a movie, are you then allowed to stream the entirety of it publicly for people to watch it for free? No, because that's illegal. Systems are in place to prevent that. But by Fez, put all of it on YouTube, turn on ads, make money from it, and that's totally fine. Obvious sarcasm. Um, yeah, I get... Uh, it's like... It, I'm surprised that that his first major public statement on any topic after a year and a half was something that was clearly not going to be a popular opinion. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, especially okay, first online, all, where that's pretty much the standard. Firstly, I okay. I did not get to see these tweets when they happened. I oh, yeah, only he turned off his aftermath. account afterwards. Right, I, it, yeah, he deleted it, which is kind of like, I don't know, it, it's kind of like iconic Phil Fish tantrum where he gets angry and he does a lot of, says a lot of rash things and then sort of like kind of blocks the entire situation out and goes back to like, like stealth mode and like disappears. Because you can recover a deleted Twitter account fairly easily, right? I believe right? you can. Yeah, I believe you can. Days, yeah. Yeah, and so, okay, so I didn't see the tweets when they happened. I don't know the context, but apparently it's about the whole PewDiePie earning four million thing. Now, if I was to rebuttal Fish, first of all, I would say, first, PewDiePie hasn't played Fez on his channel. I just, like, a two-minute search can show that PewDiePie has never played Fez on his channel. So, that's one thing out of the way, right? Right. I mean, not that I could find, at least, unless there's some sort of, like, hidden PewDiePie thing, but, but I doubt his... other games? Well, that's the thing, is, like, haven't we heard time and time again that these Let's Players, especially PewDiePie and people as big as him, like, Kryken, Tobuscus, etc., 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 I mean, not as big as him, but, you know, big Let's Players, aren't they the reason why most, like, tiny indie developers sell as much as they sell? These days, yeah, totally. Like, I can understand in in some cases what he's talking about. Like, okay, for example, the way he puts it, if you put like first of all, I don't like I don't like the the comparison. If you buy a movie, are you then allowed to stream it? No, Movies and games are not, not the equal, same. Not, not even at all. close to being the same thing. If, if they you buy are, a movie you're doing and stream it wrong. It, right. You're like, streaming it wrong you and, and you are making it, a game wrong. Like the whole point of a game. Especially like, especially in Phil's case, his game is all about the player discovering things. That's what Fez is at its core. Everybody's playthrough of Fez is going to be worlds apart. 
Like, I did mine in a different order than people and other people do theirs. Like, I went to this zone first when other people would go to this zone first. And, like, it's very open-ended and it's very player-driven and it's not a linear experience. So, first of all, a Let's Players channel is about the Let's Player playing the game, not the game being played. Now, of course, you'll get more views on a popular game, but, like, nobody goes to PewDiePie's channel to be like, oh, I want to see a Goat Simulator playthrough. They want to see PewDiePie yell at Goat Simulator. Mm -hmm. That's why they go to his channel. Like... The fact that the game is there is secondary to the person playing it in most cases. And in the best cases, they can work off each other and benefit right. each other. The relationship is a positive symbiotic one. I mean, like, it's uh, like, OK, I I've, uh, I worked with uh, Nicholas, the guys who did Cave Story Plus and recently 1001 Spikes. They sent mm -hmm. me the game early so I could review it on my show and, you know, like, you do like a kind of a cross promotion thing. They also sent the game to a let's player named Northern Lion, and his videos are easily the most viewed on YouTube about 1001 Spikes. And Tyrone, the guy from Nicholas, has like publicly said like a couple times, like thanked Northern Lion for like playing the game so much and making those videos because it's helped 1001 Spikes sales. Yeah. Like, and Northern Lion isn't like PewDiePie numbers. So I, I don't know. Like, I guess. Cases can be taken case by case, but like, unless the person puts like the most soulless playthrough of Fez with no microphone, no face cam, just like the game being played and done in a like in from start to finish on YouTube, I don't think that there's any grounds for people owing him money. I kind of understand. I, I understand his argument, and let's say that PewDiePie did have a playthrough of Fez. I'm not mm -hmm. sure what Phil Fish's yearly salary is. Mm -hmm. I would guess it's not four million. Yeah. So I can see if he's saying something like, "Okay, mm -hmm. I made this product, but he's the one who's using it to get money, and that upsets me." I can sort of understand if that's what his, where he's coming from, because that's sort of this: you're protective over your creation, and you feel like you should have the, the money generated from it what he doesn't right. understand is like you said people aren't going to pewdiepie's channel to see the game they're going to see him mm -hmm. so he's he's already built up this fan base it wouldn't matter whatever he played he'd still get the numbers from it just because he's been he's the one who was there at the right time when it happened mm -hmm. this like, was do you guys remember those reply girls on youtube uh, yes <laughs> okay when it was at its worst Yogg's cast was upset because I guess they were responding to a lot of Yogg's cast videos, so mm -hmm. they would be cashing in on their product, basically. And I thought it was right. a little ironic. I said, well, you're, you're getting revenue off of a game, and they're getting revenue off of your content. But they were still upset about that. It's just, mm -hmm. I think it's kind of natural for people to think they don't want others earning money off their product, regardless if it's brought in more views. Now, of course, that's the unpopular opinion, like we've said, and there is a lot of cases where the game does help sales when it's being shown on YouTube, so yeah. it, I guess there, it just depends the way you look at it. There are. They, uh, 
well, not in response to the Phil Fish story, but in response to the PewDiePie story, Gamma Sutra, Gamma Sutra, Gamma Sutra. Man, I, I said Gamma Sutra. Gamma Sutra. Oh my gosh! <laughs> like it took me this long to figure out how to pronounce Ubisoft correctly, and I'm already <laughs> screwing it up tonight. But Gamma Sutra posted a feature where they quoted developers about um, how their sales numbers differentiate between getting press coverage that's words versus press coverage that's videos. And Mm -hmm. I dug up a couple of quotes here. Uh, Cliff Harris of Positech Games says, I'm not aware... Well, this is... uh, I had to paraphrase it to put space on the paper, but... I'm not aware of any game site for whom coverage will result in a sales spike. Later on, he says, but I have seen that with the YouTube Let's Play. Um, Dan Pierce, who is someone I actually know very well. He's a super cool guy. We, we mm-hmm. email and talk about games together. Uh, mm-hmm. We haven't, he says, we haven't had a significant spike from the written press, but we have seen spikes from YouTube. He was talking in reference to his game 10 Second Ninja. Mm-hmm. And there you go. <laughs> There's your proof <laughs> yeah. right there. Yeah. Well, okay. So, again, I have to say it's a case by case because I don't think that that triple A's are going to be getting like quote unquote sales spikes from these people uh, because I think for the most part triple uh, A's are already making like fine sales on their own they have their billboards but, right but like okay let's take a game I, I have like a quote that I'm just going to pull off the top of my head because I watched this interview with Edmund McMillan uh, I'm sure you guys know from Team Meat I, I know that Boy. name <laughs> and, uh, and Binding of Isaac he he was talking in an interview and he said that the sales for the binding of Isaac were incredibly unusual for him because usually you spike on the first day and then it slowly drops and then it drops off completely. And for him, there was like a mini spike on the first day. And then two months later, he was looking at the sales and they, it was a line that was just a continuously growing sales chart. Like day by day, he was getting more daily sales for like weeks in a row. And he, I mean, I, I, of course, am not going to quote him, but paraphrasing, he essentially said that it was due to people streaming the game, people sharing the game, people let's playing the game. And uh, to this day, like I know I can name four or five YouTubers off the top or not YouTubers, Twitch streamers, excuse me, off the top of my head that play Binding of Isaac almost exclusively on their channel. And like they're the guys who are making m- maybe to dare I say, like, a living off of that. Like, people like Cobalt Streak streams every single day for, like, eight hours, and he plays Binding of Isaac for most of that time. He's said that he has almost 3,000 hours in Isaac, and I'm sure most of that has been streamed. Like, in a sense, they're taking money, but at the same time, the Binding of Isaac sales wouldn't have gone up nearly that high without that sort of press. And yeah, it's, you get... it's two different sources of revenue. Now, if, yeah. if he's upset because he's looking at it in the terms of he's making more money off my game than I am, but he's performing a different service. So he's, yeah, he's an entertainer, if... whereas you are the game creator. So I can understand the frustration, but at the same time, it's two totally different like, spheres. I would, I would find it hard to quantify it like that, because Binding yeah. of Isaac, like let's say it's $10. You get $10 yeah. for one sale of Binding of Isaac. And let's say someone logs into your stream of Binding of Isaac and clicks on an mm-hmm. ad. That's like one tenth of a penny. Yeah, <laughs> like it takes a lot more, a lot more volume to make a living off media than it does game development. And which obviously, is, I not guess, everyone on YouTube is doing that. It's only the people who have gotten into it oh, early yeah. and held on to it. I mean, how many yeah. let's players are out there? 
Well, like, and that's that's a another lot, thing that's kind of a few of them probably live off of it. Yeah, that's that's another thing that's kind of like the big flaw in that tweet tirade that that Phil went on is that PewDiePie is literally the exception. Yes, he is he the 0.01%. He's not even a percent. He is the one. <laughs> he is the only guy making that much money off YouTube right now because he is the biggest channel. He's almost like he's millions bigger than Smosh. And that's Smosh. And Smosh like, has much more expensive production. Right. And they don't make near, and like that's the other thing. He puts out like PewDiePie puts out like what two videos a day. Right. Mm hmm. And he gets like four million views per video. This guy is pulling in ludicrous numbers, and he's only making four million dollars off of all that. Like, it's like seven hundred oh, yeah. videos a year. That's another yeah. thing. Like, there, there were people like angry about him making so much money off of comparatively little effort. There were also people angry about him making so little money compared to how much influence he has over this industry, which yeah, I think is really funny. It's pretty insane. Like, I mean. Like, like we mentioned briefly, not a lot of YouTubers, not a lot of, well, especially Let's Players, do, like, live off of their earnings. They're, like, they earn almost nothing. PewDiePie is the exception with 20-plus million subscribers, and he's making $4 million. Yeah. That's, that's not even a dollar per sub How many copies year. of Binding of Isaac do you think have actually been sold? I highly doubt it's 20 million. Like, PewDiePie oh, has a bigger gosh. fan base than a lot of the developers he covers. And in a way, I'm kind of, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm committing the horrible internet crime of liking PewDiePie, but I am thankful that it's him in the number one spot and not like Axe or Doritos or some other horrible <laughs> corporate sponsored product taking the place right. of an individual human being, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I he like also him. has, he's done a lot of good for independent games development in general he's because of this. He's a good person as well. And he also yeah. doesn't exclusively play like AAA corporate games sponsored by Axe yeah. and Doritos. Like he plays the weirdest, most indie hipstery stuff that you would not expect someone that popular to play. Yeah. yeah and even then, like I don't see uh, like browsing through his page for just a moment. You don't see many of his Let's Plays like going on for hundreds of episodes like he yeah, does he like two or three the entire game up there i i think yeah, he does like two or three and then he gets rid of them I he mean, changed his format last year to um cut down on quantity a lot uh -huh. and I, I like i guess it's worked like he was number one back then when he changed it to and he still is so yeah something has to be doing right but no he used to put out 50 or so minute videos at a time i remember doing some research for a little video i made but whatever he's not doing <laughs> it now so it doesn't even matter does it yeah, I'm, I don't know. Like, I think there's like a there's so many cases we could talk about that are like in favor of let's players, specifically let's players, not even video reviewers like 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 us, like specifically let's players. Like, I mean, amnesia, amnesia wouldn't exist on the map if it wasn't for the silly people that yelled silly things at, at it. Yeah, that's right? true. Mm -hmm. Like, Whenever that's how I it. found the game. And also, I, can, I can literally say I found amnesia through like a. <laughs> dumb let's player guy going like oh no i'm so scared like, the like, biggest let's play channels out there play mods and i think that's yeah. super cool like I, I i can't say i'd watch it but i really like the idea of them giving something like game modding which you see a lot of incentive for triple a's to push out of their games um they give it exposure like it was mm -hmm. cool having people download and play your mod it's probably even super duper way more cooler to see millions of people watching your mod being played yeah 
Like I was saying earlier about how they play the most weirdest, indiest games. Like they sometimes play something even lower than that in terms of mods. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's it's a very broad topic, and I think we kind of covered essentially what all of us were thinking. But I don't know. It, it's just to get back to like the original original topic, the video that the guy released about Phil about, Fish. This is Phil this Fish. Is I think it's a very very good video, and I think if you haven't checked it out. I'm sure you might have. You gotta now, set aside some time for it, though. It's 20 minutes, <laughs> it's and I listened to it on minutes. my. <laughs> I listened to it on my drive to work, and it was just a good, refreshing video that like made some very good analyses and a very, some very good analogies as well. Analysis, analyze, analyze, and analysis. Kite tails. Have you seen this video? Yeah, I saw some of it. Okay, you have to watch all of it. It's not I just bad. saw the parts where he was talking about everything he did wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's not like he's wrong, because Phil Fish did do those things. It's just the context of those things changes depending on how famous Phil Fish was at the time. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. The same actions it's... have different well, meanings in different contexts. He, he has a very knee-jerk reaction to stuff online, and I think there comes a point where you just you can't respond to the negative comments when you're that big. No, no. But it just, especially on the worse. internet, yeah. an eye for the, an eye makes everyone blind. Yep. The whole thing is like responding to comments is one thing, but there he does reference a very specific instance where Phil canceled Fez Two after uh, I can't remember the game. What is it? the annoyed gamer? Is is that his oh, title? Oh yeah, his, fuck Marcus Beer. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> that that guy just like went on a podcast thing or whatever he was on and he was like like Phil Fish is a toss pot and John Blow is a is a dumbass and it's like it, it, like you consider yourself games media you're just being an asshole for the sake of being an asshole you want that knee jerk reaction yeah. you are a leech is what that person is and Phil Fish didn't respond as he should have which was just by ignoring it but like I can't blame the guy even for a moment because if that ass guy was like like oh I watched Sunder's video on this and he's a toss pot that would have been like well fuck you what did you what did I ever do like the comments you received you... were way overboard horrendous though well yeah. he also got a lot of them like it wasn't just Marcus yeah. Beer it was the straw that broke the camel's back was he was a very unpopular ongoing. figure and for honestly, a very long why time why would you want to continue to associate with that sort of group of fans if there's other people waiting for your game. I don't know. Yeah, ag agreed. I mean, like, I, I know we just spent pretty much the last 20 minutes talking about why Phil Fish is wrong in all those <laughs> tweets, but as I preempt, as, like, I preambled to that whole thing, I like his game a lot, and I think he's an amazing game designer, and I think he's just a human being who doesn't really... He isn't, like, accustomed to acting in the public eye. And he got famous really quickly. Yeah. Like, it didn't happen over, like, ten years. It happened over, like, two years. And I don't know. I think I think I just kind of sympathize because I probably would react very similar if I was in that situation. I would, too. Situation. And I, I don't think know. people ought not to get away with things like that. And you know that's the argument, oh, it's the internet. You just, you, people are allowed to be anonymous and angry but <laughs> that's just like saying boys will be boys like it no is. you you have no. to just stick up for it at one point and say no yeah. because of what you said because of this sort of stuff this is the result yeah i don't well, know well i think it's uh 
uh, impossible to say now what we would have done in his position. We are not Phil Fish. It's in the past. We have the advantage of retrospect. And uh, of course, yeah, of course and, anyways, I, I don't know. I, I don't think anyone will agree that he hasn't handled his image well. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, like judging myself based off of my past things, but smaller things than that, I think I would be in just as terrible of a public view of me. If There's I was only one way to find out for sure. <laughs> oh, great. Don't tell people to go flame him. No, no, don't. Um. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, make a great game and get yeah. famous. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll just do that make real quick. A, make a great game, like, now. Um, uh, no, anyways. Uh, okay, also, yeah, we've been rambling. That video said it was his third game, but he's been working at Ubisoft before that. I mean, I don't know if he was, like, the head of projects or anything, but it's not like he was super-duper inexperienced at the time. Whatever, that's, um, that's besides yeah. the point. Philfish <laughs> also... I think a big misinterpretation is that he didn't come out of nowhere. Like he funded yeah. a games, an indie games development festival, and he also worked in AAA for a while. Like he knew he knew how to make games. It's not yeah. Fez didn't happen by accident. Uh, anyways, um, community, <laughs> we love our community. <laughs> Let's move on to happy stuff. We like you guys. You're not you're not all butts. <laughs> <laughs> um, a guy named Though the butts thread was pretty funny. The butts thread was pretty great. I gotta, I gotta give it up to you guys for that. I left my, I left my butt off at the butt thread. A guy <laughs> named Mertieth, I don't know. It's like a really weird characters in his name. Mertief? I hope I pronounced it. Mertieth wants to talk about the value of video games versus film, which is a topic that we briefly touched on earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, he says he, she, Mertieth says, if I play a game for twenty hours and it costs me sixty dollars, then each hour of entertainment must cost me three dollars. If, however, a movie goes on for one and a half hours and cost me $15, then each hour of entertainment cost me $10. Um, he has come to realize over the course of great introspection that uh, that comparison is not valid. It is wrong. Very few games exceed the cost per hour of entertainment of a movie. Video games are not some cheaper alternative to cinema. He specifically cites Ground Zeroes as an example of a game that he felt provided value for time. And I know, Kytels, you did a video um, last year about about trying to quantify the value of, of game over time. Yes. Do, do did you, you? Do you feel... Did I miss that? Like, it's... um. It's still a noble endeavor to try. Like, I will personally say as a consumer, I actually do that when making my purchasing decisions, but not as a critic for the content of reviews. I guess it's be- it depends because if you're playing the games for entertainment or are you playing it for another reason? So I buy games purely for entertainment and that's mm-hmm. what video games are for me. So that's why I would quantify in terms of, well, am I getting my money's worth, so to say? Mm-hmm. Tomodachi Life, for example, is $35, and I play it every single day. I'll just turn it on in the morning and in between waiting for dinner to cook and afterward for 10 minutes at a time. And I'd say think... it's been very well worth my investment because I'm getting use out of it. Yeah, and I think that's one of the uh, harsh realities of living in a capitalist society that values commodities with with numbers and does quantify nearly everything yeah. in terms of how much value it represents by the and dollar. I know that everyone is like that obviously, but I feel I have one of I have a much more simple approach to video games. I remember when I I said the phrase video games are for fun, a lot of people got super upset about that because it's not about fun it's it's about art or it's it's supposed to be something you can look at and, and think about not why enjoy. not both 
Yeah, but, uh, so, yeah, I, Why can't I agree. It just be anything? They're, video or games that. can be art, but for me, I have to be able to enjoy it and feel like, wow, I'm really glad I spent my money on that. I would hate yeah. to buy something and think, okay, that was not worth $60. That's just <laughs> the way I, I look at it personally. I, I, I don't know if this is like entirely related, but I do agree, like, it's, ex it's experience-wise for me, so like, for example, Braid. I will say again and again, favorite game of all time next to Majora's Mask. I have bought multiple copies of Braid so that I can give Braid to other people who would not have bought it with their own money because, like, I think it's worth more than the price tag that it originally had on it. Oh, Just yeah. Like, that's how Steam sales work. <laughs> well, yeah, I cannot like, not even on the sale. Stuff like, it costs $4 right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Steam summer sales, like, jokes Today, aside, like, when there is sales on games that I really, really like, that I really, really want to support, like I, I believe I've bought in four copies of Limbo in my life, and I only have like, I, like, one of them is mine. I gave three of them away because I really like Limbo. Limbo is like a really beautiful, well-made game, and I think it's an experience that I would want to give more money to the developers. That's such a good to have outlook to have, play. though. To mm -hmm. say I love this so much, I'm willing to give more money into what I think it's worth. I really right, like. I, I would love to do that with my favorite games, but I don't think you can. My, I love Chrono Trigger. That's my favorite game of all time. Oh, yeah. There's no way. And I that's guess a really if long I game. I want to purchase a DS copy of it. I don't know. Like, well, I mean, it doesn't work in every case. I know. Like, I also really like, uh, like Wind Waker. I'm not gonna go buy Wind Waker <laughs> yeah, HD for all true. my friends. Like, I don't have that much money to throw away. But sometimes, sometimes the price tag. When if I feel it's a little undervalued, like I bought two copies of Antichamber because Antichamber is so good, and I, even the twenty dollars price tag I think is for like even like a four hour game I think was way too cheap. That game was amazing. Isn't that sort but, of the idea behind the game bundles? Is pay for what you think it's worth. You can pay a minimum hmm. amount, or you can donate as, as much as, result, as you like. People, an awful lot of people, just pay the absolute minimum they can get away with. That's true, I mean, but then I, you do have some do. $1,000 yeah. donors out there. I'm, I'm well, I think not ashamed in, to say that's what I do, too. In that case, a lot like I'm not going to buy a game bundle of a bunch of games I already own. Like Usually I'll buy a game bundle, like a Humble Bundle, if there's games that I've never heard of in it. So I don't know what I'm getting, so I don't want to, like, I'll give you $60 for that bundle, and then it'd be a whole bunch of yeah, games, and I'm like, true. oh my god, what did I pay for? <laughs> but like, there was one bundle that I remember had like that... Uh, uh, what's what's that company's name? Amanita. They did Amanita uh, Designs. Yeah, yeah. And they the did, there was a bundle they had with. Guy. Yeah, they had a bundle that had Botanicula in it, which was their follow-up. That was like all like plant life based, and I really liked that game. And like, I think I bought another copy of that because like I paid the bare minimum for that humble bundle. But I don't know. So speaking of patience and restraint, um, <laughs> no way Ryan Tatum wants to talk about Japanese release dates versus USA release dates. He says. Mm -hmm. USA release dates. He says Japan has no issue waiting and taking their time. He cites Final Fantasy 15, which was announced in 2006 as Final Fantasy 13 versus. Do you guys remember that, by the way? Like, that is taking it that. way back. Um, yeah. <laughs> it looks like a spinoff of Final Fantasy 13 announced before Final Fantasy 13 came out. Now it's Final Fantasy 15. They're just like bumping it up a generation. Uh, while other, more American titles are released almost yearly and get sequels no one asked for, citations being Dead Island, Riptide, and The Force Unleashed 2. <laughs> and I guess 
I don't know. I don't know how much you guys know about this, but um, what I took it as was as a challenge to find franchises that get annualized in Japan. And boy, oh, oh wow. boy, did I find them. <laughs> I found several. Yeah, God. I don't know. I, I hate to say it, no way, Ryan Tatum, but uh, you might be putting a bit too much faith in, in glorious Nippon there. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I actually looked up the sales charts for um, the top-selling Japanese titles going back to 2008. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know how much you guys have researched into this topic, but are you guys aware of a subgenre of action games called Musou? Musou, M-U-S-O-U? I'm not haven't heard not of it. Aware. It is a, I guess you could call it Dynasty Warriors clone. It's a uh-huh. hack and slash action game where you hack and slash through hundreds of soldiers at a time, and those mm-hmm. things sell like hotcakes in Japan. And even over here, it feels like a Dynasty Warriors or a Dynasty Warriors spinoff comes out all the time. In Japan, mm-hmm. it's like even more densely saturated. These things aren't the number one super bestseller, but there are absolute so many of them that I don't see how some of these spinoffs, they're so out there that they, how, how they could not fall into the category of sequels no one asked for. There is one <laughs> called um, Dynasty Warriors Gundam. Mm. There are uh, One Piece Pirate Warriors. Oh boy. The mainline franchises are uh, Dynasty Warriors, Samurai Warriors, and Warriors Orochi. Between the three of those, they crank out one at least every year. Jeez. And there's even one called um, Derby Musao, where you're on the top of a horse. It's like a little cheap mini nothing game, but it still <laughs> exists. You are on the top yeah. of, a, of a horse at like a Japanese racing derby, slashing through hundreds of enemy soldiers at a time. Um, yeah. But that's just a genre. Uh, right. Franchises, the same franchises that you see topping the charts in America, top the charts in Japan. And they are Pokemon and Mario. Right. Uh, during my my quest through the top selling Japanese sales charts from 2008 to 2013, Pokemon and mm-hmm. Mario were at the top every year in some some iteration or another. But what was always at the top for three years straight was Monster Hunter 2. <laughs> yeah, it is ridiculous. They love yeah. it. They love Monster Hunter. Yeah, it's it's a game that has never been popularized in America until three ultimate yeah fairly fairly recently but back in japan some form of monster hunter portable 2 was one of the top three selling games for three <laughs> years straight and i believe it was 2009 10 and 11 and then uh-huh. monster hunter 3 came out and some version of that was at the top of the charts monster hunter 4 came out in 2013 that was not that i i hope my memory serves me correctly because i was looking at this last night and then i slept on it but mm-hmm. Monster Hunter is that franchise. It is the Japanese Call of Duty. They, <laughs> it is always at the top of the form of the top of the charts in some form or another. And I thought that was that was kind of kind of a fascinating little yeah, little trip to neat. go on. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what about uh, what about Street Fighter? Uh, no, no, no. I didn't see I didn't see that that uh that top in the charts regularly as well, well as those others. Maybe if, not top in the charts, but it is definitely a yearly release, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, I, I, don't, okay. I don't follow F- Street Fighter as much as a lot of other people do. So. Uh, I don't either, and I like don't take this as a bash towards Street Fighter. I like Street Fighter, but 
Street Fighter 4 has had Street Fighter 4, Super Street Fighter 4, Street Fighter 4 Arcade Edition, now Ultra Street Fighter 4. I think there was another one that I'm missing somewhere in there. Those but... sound like sequels no one asked for. Like, they've <laughs> well, made a parody I mean, like... of those sequels. The, the Dead Rising 3 Capcom Ultra HD <laughs> Edition. The, the thing I like about that is that it's the same company that's putting out the Street Fighter games that made that joke. Mm -hmm. So I like that they're kind of making fun of themselves. But, like, they're not full price games, to be honest. They're not... Each well, each of them is not sixty bucks. Like you, if you own the previous one, you could pay like fifteen bucks to upgrade to the next one because it's like balancing changes and a few new characters. But I don't know. It does seem like another sort of like pump out another one as soon as possible kind of game. Though, albeit to a little bit more polished because it's a competitive game. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Call of Duty tries to be competitive, but well, there there well. is a scene. I don't know how how sustainable it is compared to other scenes, but they try, <laughs> they try. Anyways, I think uh, our time is starting to run thin here. Thanks I think again. Our time ran thin twenty minutes ago. Well, what I, it was fun. We had fun. It right? was fun. It was right? great. I, after all the depressing topics, it was fun talking with the community. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We um, got to talk about Phil Fish and his community and then talk about our own community, and we'll see how how we end up getting appreciated for how we handle it. Whatever, that's besides the point. Thanks yeah. to all of you for listening, and remember that you can find us on all our respective YouTube channels. Um, do you guys have anything cool planned for your channels over the coming weeks? Uh, Kite Tales? I have a Mario Kart 8 review I should have put out a couple days ago, but... Should be coming <laughs> I'm going to be reviewing um, Crimson Clover. Well, I don't necessarily know if I want to review it so much as I want to turn it into an editorial about uh -huh. how Japanese indie games work differently from Western indie games, mm -hmm. like um, how they're distributed at conventions rather than um, online distribution platforms. I think that's a really, a really neat topic. A lot of fun stuff to talk about there. Uh -huh. And um, you know, got more, got more Metal Gear Rising up as usual since now I'm cool. doing that thing. <laughs> but uh, uh, I'm I'm in the planning and like con concept portion of another level head. Uh, I already have like a scheduled time when it's going to be released, so it's not soon. It's in, in about a month because it's going to be because uh, it's going to be collaboration. Quality. Oh, really? Gonna, <laughs> I mean, like not not really collaboration. It's going to be themed with like something that's going to happen on another channel. Okay, gonna, well, so it's going to be a cool thing. It's going to be a different thing. I haven't done this type of game on the show yet, so it, I'm really excited. <laughs> It's not a platformer. <laughs> no, it's not a platformer. Platforms are really easy to examine from like a physical standpoint because you can like you could just like step back and look at the whole level and be like, oh yeah, well obviously you're meant to go here, but I'm I'm doing something a little different and I I'm not gonna ruin it. I'll, it'll come when it comes. As always, awesome. be sure to make threads so we have stuff to talk about. We filled up a lot of time talking about thread stuff just then, and it was really fun. Mm -hmm. I actually. If I'm spending an hour on the internet, I'd rather spend it looking up a uh, year's worth of Japanese sales data than than a lot of other stupid news topics that get tossed around. Anyways, <laughs> make threads about butts or whatever. I don't even care anymore. Or I like the butt about thread. Threads. Make threads oh. about threads. Wait, make are we are thread. we a fashion podcast now? <laughs> this week. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, be sure to rate us five stars on iTunes. You can always find us on the front page of TOVG under the Features tab. And I think that is a wrap. Yeah. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye. 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 Adios. Bye. Later, man.
This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash... Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of hefty large black bags. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.